1: Welcome to Parts Unknown, the wrestling podcast that can't get enough of the grandest stage of them all. This week, we're looking back on the miracle of Bourbon Street, WrestleMania 30 from New Orleans, the culmination of Daniel Bryan's epic battle with the authority to reach the top of WWE. Here with their mountain Jews at the ready, Carrie Dunn. Hello. Hello. Carl Welcome, True Believers. And Anton Tullui. Hello there. Right, we'll get to D, Brian and Mo, because the other huge story from this WrestleMania was the end of the streak. Start with you, Carl. What did you think at the time? How do you reflect on it now?
2: Was it a good decision? Was it the worst decision? That's a lot of questions, man. <laughs> um, what did I think at the time? At the time, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, so watching it live, I was... Me too. I, I don't know many people that were watching that match fully invested in that match, because... I didn't think the streak was going to end. I remember being in the living room talking to my friends. Like, yeah, well, you know, he's got to face Brian next or, you know, so-and-so is coming next. He hasn't thought he could always do CM Punk 2, blah, 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 blah. And I wasn't really invested in what's going on because the build of that match was quite poor. It's only the last two promos from Heyman doing loads of heavy lifting where he's basically going, hello, you're not going to be able to forget this one where you tweak. Um, so that was me watching live. And I remember when the third F5 happened. I went, mean, hang on, this is weird. He hasn't done like a last ride or anything yet. You know, like he hadn't hit loads of his signature moves. I went, mean, this is odd. This is plodding. What's going three, leaping out my sofa, holding my friends back, right? like almost as if we were gonna like jump into the TV and try and beat up Lesnar. We we're like, what? What? What 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 is that? Um and that was my feeling about it. Then you rewatch it and oh boy. Taker gets his clock cleaned mm. so early into that match. There's a bit where he tries to go for old school, and he gets on the rope. And Lesnar, meet, like, he takes two steps on the rope. Lesnar recognizes that Taker can't walk, balance on the rope, pulls him down immediately, and like hits him in the suplex. And I think that's one thing about it as well. Taker gets concussed massively early, and he can't really do much, um, which affects the the, the storytelling. Um, Cole is out of his depth. He doesn't know what really. What he should be doing. Here. I don't know if Cole knew beforehand that the streak was going to end, but he clearly doesn't know if how much foreshadowing he's allowed to do. Um, and yeah, it like obviously it's meant to be disappointing because this is one of the most shocking things you ever see. Um, and uh, Bill Simmons writes some amazing things about wrestling about how certain wrestling reactions you can gauge basically when the internet occurs. So like uh, Hulk Hogan bumping into Ultimate Warrior at the Royal Rumble is one of the biggest pre-internet pops you'll see in the in like in all Royal Rumbles. The biggest post-internet pop you'll see in a Royal Rumble is John Cena emerging at MSG. at number 30. And like Taker losing is the biggest post-internet <gasps> thing you'll ever see in wrestling. And I don't think you'll ever get a moment like that again. And it's kind of disappointing that a lot of that is ruined by Cole not doing great comms and Taker being concussed.
1: Well, in terms of that, I'm not going to go into this too much because somebody else says it much better than me, but Meltzer wrote, Referee Chad Patton, who knew the same finish that everybody else thought they knew, hit the mat once, then twice, and then didn't know what to do before he hit the third. So the the rumour going round is that it was basically the two men in the match triple h Steph, and vince and nobody else knew what was going to happen anton i guess they had to do that to protect the integrity of the finish i mean in terms of the betting lines on this lesnar was 100 to 1 to win this match um should they have told the likes of michael cole and the referee so that they could prepare a little bit more michael cole could have come up with a zinger or whatever i've got no problem with that
3: i've got absolutely no problem with that in terms of you, you and I both sort of work a lot in football, and you know you you can't prepare for the unexpected, and it, it's absolutely fine. A good commentator should be able to react, react to, to to surprising things. That's that's the art of the job. For me, I like the fact that no one knew. I actually was happy the streak ended, and this match proves why the streak should have ended because take a. You know, He's in pain within two minutes of the match going on. He's out of his depths, and you see Lesnar absolutely destroy him. And then I said, the old school for me is when he, when he reverses old school. That looks like Lesn- looks like Lesnar's noticed I need to do something about it. And I remember looking, I remember watching at the time thinking that's odd. And then watching it back and knowing now what we know, that sums up why this why the streak had to end. And for me, that should have been it for Taker. Streak ends. Taker goes away. Mm. We're done. But, you know, obviously it doesn't, WWE doesn't work like that and I completely see why. But no, for me, actually, the fact it was a secret led to one of the most surprising
1: you know, things that WWE seen in the last 20 years. And that's how, that's how it should be. Carrie, it seems like popular opinion is that should have been it for Taker. Is, is that something you'd agree with?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I thought... That match was a little bit sad in itself and I think what we've seen in the past few years has been quite sad. The fact that he gets wheeled out and wheeled out and you know, even kind of this year with the Cena trying to call him out. Why? Why are you doing this? No one wants to see this. I think my reaction to watching the streak end, I actually laughed a lot. I just found the entire thing just hilarious. Just people being horrified, you know, the kind of overreaction that you saw so in the crowd. Angry. People are raging.
1: The chat he's, with the bulbous eyes. Yes, yeah, the chat with the bulbous perfect. eyes.
4: Um, all the ranting on Twitter, and then you've got just Heyman and Brock just grinning and I was just laughing I remember sitting there on my sofa just laughing and laughing and laughing and I had friends texting me saying oh my god I can't believe this is happening this is outrageous what terrible booking this is hilarious if the streak is going to end you need to have it done in this kind of really unexpected, really unprepared way Mm. because it looked shocking and yeah, I think I thought it was great.
1: And what helped with that was the fact that they didn't play Brock's music immediately, they left it for what felt like an eternity Mm. which really really, and Heyman just going what have you done, what did you, oh my god you
4: did it, you did it.
1: Uh, If Heyman wasn't there, I think that it it would have been slightly lacklustre but again, this is a recurring theme we keep coming back to, if you want to make a good match great or a bad match good, you stick Paul Heyman it
2: yeah he, he he's the glue he he sells that build so the, the build is Lesnar like, oh, I need a target here's a contract thing on the table Taker stabs his hand with a pen and he's like, oh. I'm like okay fine these two will fight whatever and you get this impression in a lot of later Taker matches and a lot of the Taker Wrestlemania builds they all feel as if three weeks before Taker's walked into the locker room and gone it's you you're the guy this year. Apparently that was basically how CM Punk happened. Punk was just like t- doing his boots and Taker went, yep, you're this year and apparently Punk's like, oh, for God. <laughs> fine. Um, so 30 felt rushed, and we know for, for a long time Taker had offered the streak to people. We know he offered it to Angle. We know he offered it to someone who, in hindsight, it's a good job, didn't take it. Um, and yeah, if you were going to give up the streak, that's the best way you do it. And what they did with Lesnar afterwards in terms of, I'm kind of annoyed that now he's just a whole suplex machine, other than, you know, I quite like it when he has that weird thing when he gets you on your side and just knees you in the ribs. Um, like, they're, like his moveset's got a lot smaller. I wish he still had the big moveset, but they've, they've done that properly. Just, I took the streak and now I am God Emperor Doom. Try and stop me.
3: Going back to your point about Heyman, he was the fan. And that's what yeah. I liked about the ending. He was saying what the fans were, you know, exclaiming, you've done it. Oh my God. Oh my God. And that's what it needed because you weren't getting it from the comms. You weren't getting it from anywhere else really. And if he
2: didn't have Haven, the moment wouldn't have been as special. It feels as if, because to link it to the other person that's beaten the Undertaker, the fact they brought JR out for the Roman Reigns match feels like a direct response to what happened on the comms in 30. Very much of, Cole can't do this properly. Nets get, good old Jim Ross to properly tell the story of how this man's body is quite failing him and how he can't quite cut it anymore and how eventually time defeats everyone, even the Undertaker.
4: I think I'm right in saying that Cole doesn't, um, doesn't find out the finishes beforehand. He likes to go in and be surprised and call Same it as he JR. sees it. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean to say that he can't you know, do research mm-hmm. and actually have a story to tell before he gets to the finish, surely.
1: he prepare for every eventuality. Yeah, exactly. So just in closing on that then, obviously this wasn't the end for Taker and Brock. They, they went on to ha- to have a series. Did did Taker claw back some respectability during oh, that? No, there was a low blow and the Camorra, if anything, it kind of
3: made it worse because it was desperate. And that's what The Undertaker's supposed, not supposed to be at all. He's supposed to be this sort of doom monger from the shadows, not a guy that will do anything. To, he just never had to stoop to these levels because he's always
1: in control. So, actually, it, for me, made it worse. Right, so that was the streak. Bit of a bummer. Don't worry, though. After the break, business picks up. You're listening to the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast from Muddy Knees Media. So we're going to go right back to the start of the show for Daniel Bryan against Triple H, the winner of this match, who was Bryan, advancing to the Triple Threat title match. Carrie, 25 minutes this went. We've talked about Triple H having long matches at Mania. I could have watched another 25 minutes of this. I thought it was absolutely spectacular. It was one of my favourite wrestling matches maybe in ever.
4: Yep, same as. Absolutely magnificent and even Steph, who I have limited patience for when she's ringside, I thought she actually did some exceptional work during this, um, just kind of screaming at Brian the entire time. Um, also, the video video packages they did beforehand as well, the, uh, telling Brian's story. Imagine Dragons' was pretty- "Monster" was the track oh, they
1: used to soundtrack it It was,
4: it was
3: absolutely
1: brilliant. brilliant in terms of
3: just even the, just the physical sort of you saw the change in Brian mm-hmm. and with the hair the go. And the beard getting longer. It longer. It, it was absolutely it was just a brilliant montage.
4: I got goosebumps watching it all back again I really I've got did. them now yeah <laughs> it's just yeah just amazing stuff
3: uh, anyone else notice Triple H's entrance
2: who was flanking him
4: yes, yes. it's Alexa Bliss Bliss, Bliss
3: Flare and, Bliss Flare and, and Sasha and Banks Ranks, yeah. yeah
2: he's doing all Mortal Kombat Shao Kahn this time <laughs> With, with... I, got, I like
3: that entrance.
2: Oh, it's, it's I, I like that
3: entrance. That, that was you know, one of the few Triple H entrances I actually enjoyed. And what I
1: loved yeah, about this... We. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> what I loved about this was the juxtaposition of all the bells and whistles that Triple H gets and then Daniel Bryan with the music that they gave to kind of bury him a little bit because it seemed a bit silly at first. He just comes out and everybody goes
2: mad because yeah. everybody loves Daniel Bryan. Got to mention with this match with Triple H, um, it's like a little middle finger up to CM Punk. So the plan was uh, Punk was going to have a Triple H match and then eventually go off to feud against a heel Batista at SummerSlam that year, and then Punk leaves. So the big thing was WrestleMania 30. You don't have CM Punk, who is your second babyface, really, in this. Um, And, like, Triple H is in amazing shape and wrestles his butt off in the best form of Triple H. So the worst one that happens to Triple H is when he thinks he's Harley Race and then thinks he's going to give you all this technical wizardry when he's at his best when he's just a brawler and just whomping on someone um, and he does that and it, and you can feel in the like first five minutes Triple H is basically going you see this punk? Could have been you. But do you think he's also
1: saying do you see this Vince? This guy opposite me he's got it all. Vince wasn't 100% a Daniel Bryan guy at this point was he? But Triple H... We are led to believe always. I almost wonder if Triple H is like if Daniel Bryan is like the wrestler that Triple H wanted to be in his prime. Is that is that a little bit harsh? Oh,
4: I like that? Yeah, that's another interesting counterfactual that we have there, isn't it? Yeah, I
2: just it's Triple H internet heat vampire thing. I don't I don't think Triple H believed in Daniel Bryan any more than anyone else and the higher ups believe in Daniel Bryan. And I think Triple H just went, all right, fine, I'll, I'll give you twenty five minutes to look cool, and then you can have your big match there. But
3: but this is the match everyone remembers in terms of the matches. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily remember the main event. You remember this because yes. this was a brilliant match. And some of the some of the flips and Brian and the top rope into the barricade. And he just he, you know, Triple H did his job and did it very well. But this is Brian. This was Brian at the peak in terms of you will struggle to see a better performance mm-hmm. on a bigger stage than this. He was absolutely,
1: absolutely brilliant. Um and how, how did the build work for you with the, the whole anti-authority? Obviously, they kind of crowbarred him in to the main event just because of the fan reaction, but that wasn't the way they initially wanted to no, go with
3: it. And, it. and it only worked because of the fan reaction. In terms of, you know, a man of the people standing up against, a, against the cliched authority saying the same lines we've been hearing for years wouldn't have worked if we didn't have this huge surge of support
2: for Daniel Bryan. Yeah, 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 exactly. You you do it the next year with the Roman Reigns. Like this isn't fun because we don't like you in the same way we like Daniel Bryan. Um,
3: I I, 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 I mean, bizarre in terms of, and I think even they didn't really know what to do with Bryan, and you could tell that, like you said, from the ring entrance because it was so sort of you know understated. And Cole calls him the proletariat, and you're just thinking, a you don't know what that word means, (laughs) b what like like, you don't you don't even have a, a, a moniker for him misusing words, JBL
1: had words lots you... of them but they were yeah. all very unflattering yeah, exactly
4: collar Daniel Bryan yeah. is, they were trying to tell a different story on commentary than the one that we'd actually seen on exactly. in front of us
3: yeah that's but I kind of liked that because it, again it just showed how good Brian is in terms of you know you don't need the bells and whistles you don't need the the slogans and the and the and the monikers that have been approved by corporate you just need to go in
1: there and show you are the best at what you do and that's what he did and that's why everyone loves him and in terms of the story that told throughout the night we needed the post match beatdown didn't we to take us into the main event that that was classic not classic WWE classic wrestling storytelling
4: oh absolutely and yeah it just this entire Way that it, this book ends uh, the event as well. I think it's it's just it's just perfect. And yeah, I'm I'm getting a bit weepy actually thinking about it. I'm getting I feel like I'm turning into the the heart eyes emoji as we talk about <laughs> it. It's just yeah, just brilliant. I,
3: I did love the angry ending. I love the Triple H ramming him into the into the post. And because again, you see, you see later on, Brian sells the injury perfectly as well. Not one point does Brian land on his shoulder. At, at, you know, in this match or, or the one later,
1: because because he's so good at this,
3: and it's. It just it just works really well.
1: So we roll from that into the triple threat main event. Carl, how how pumped were you when it was just Randy Orton versus Boutista?
2: Yeah, that's a thing, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> that was gonna be the main event of this what is, you know, one of our favourite WrestleManias of recent years.
2: I deeply detest Randy Orton. He is the greatest waste of talent in WWE history.
1: He puts the dull in dullard,
2: doesn't he? he? is to me what Vincent Man thinks of Christian. So anytime I see him on TV, I want a blue dot over his face. He is able to do everything in the ring and then chooses to bore us to death with chin locks. His ascent to, to get the world title is one of the greatest miscalculations of talent in WWE in terms of it just removed four rungs of his potential. Um, that guy can do everything, and he chooses to do absolutely nothing, and it is astonishingly offensive to me. Um, I hate Randy Orton.
3: I, I love the fact that he was. Even the um, even the commentator said he's the champion. He is an afterthought, though, isn't he? And I just thought, yes, he is. Thank you very well. Well said. In terms of, I I, I agree completely with you, Carl. In terms of, Orton doesn't deserve. To be where he is because of his attitude and what he what he brings, because he he could be brilliant, but he just he doesn't and he does refuses to entertain. He refuses to do what you need to do. So why is he why is he there? Why is he at the top? Why that, is he still
2: that run he has as the authority champion is the most entertaining. He's bit so the moment I called it that he was going to win Money in the Bank and I called it he was going to cash in at SummerSlam. I went, this is good, this is good. He can do good adversary. He doesn't want to, and, and you know you hear stories about how. When he was initially being trained by Arn Anderson, he could do those uh, like high-risk manoeuvres and flippy stuff. And I was like, well, don't do that. You're really like a massive unit. You don't have to do that. And he just stopped. Whereas what he should do is sort of like the Seth Rollins thing, where like I can do the flippy stuff. And then when you need me to be babyface, I will do more of the flippy stuff. And he just doesn't want to. And it, oh, oh, he's just awful. He's awful. He makes all the feuds you're involved in terrible. And he's just... Oh, I can't stand him and he's also really massive and scary so I can't say it to his face because it'll kill me
1: (laughs) Apart from that, I'd like to give some credit to Batista, I thought that he sold nicely in this match, I thought that so he'd come back at Royal Rumble been booed out the building, he was supposed to be a face, he saw the writing on the wall he said this is ridiculous, I should be a heel Um, but Vince stuck with it but in terms of this match, he was more than happy to sell for Brian.
4: No, I thought Batista did really, really well and I'm actually quite fond of Batista in a kind of nostalgic kind of way. I'm glad that he's not kind of still around all the time, but I thought that little run where he came back and realized that everyone hated him for not being Brian <laughs> was really good. Yeah, I thought yeah, and I thought he was great in, the, in in this match. And I also like kind of the um the finishing sequence. You and I don't like Orton any more than you guys do. But you do kind of see him peering into the ring because he wants to see what's happening, and I really like that because he just seems interested uh, but for the also first the, time. The, the,
3: the Batista bomb into an RKO on the table that looked absolutely and fantastic, and then Orton lands on the monitor. Yeah, so there's an element of as <laughs> well because we don't like Randy. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> I um, give him credit and, for and, that. And one. It, but like, still that, wrestling when his it, back is his back just bent. His back is bent, and he's bleeding from from from, from you know from from his vertebrae, and you're yeah. just thinking that hurt. I mean that really hurt but it also looked fantastic in terms of the move and again it, it that set up the finish to the match effectively and it was yeah it, and this wasn't a bad match this is a really good match as well this kind of gets lost because of the you know the, the opening back
1: bout of the night but this was actually a really good match as well. And we get the classic Terry Funk, he's on the stretcher, he's being carted out of here, his night's done. Oh no, it's not here, he comes back to win. We've seen it a thousand times before, doesn't stop us loving it. It was the perfect way like to
2: end the show. I don't like that spot. Really? I because really, you know really, what's coming? I know it's coming, and also it removes the most interesting element of that match. So the person on the stretcher is always the most interesting person in the match. So when you just take him off screen for five minutes, I'm just like, alright, oh, fine, it's... I'm just waiting five minutes for, before the interesting person gets but back. But he didn't go full funk, did he? No, he didn't go backstage. No, he, he, gets, he gets off. And the thing is, when Brian's on the stretcher, Randy Orton's back is just beginning bleeding. So you've got that really interesting bit where Batista is sort of like tapping him on the back head and going, are you okay? <laughs> I, I need to start beating you up now. And that always oh, like, just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. Just give me a minute. So there's like a, I don't call it a lull because it's, it's less than 20 seconds. But uh, yeah, I, I really dislike the stretcher spot. What about the finish
1: to the match, Anton, in terms of the the celebration? Um we could just about see Brian through all the ticker tape that's fallen. So much ticker tape. Um why didn't they let Brie out there and why didn't they say who the... Uh, the his, woman his and sister, the girl was his sister and his niece, yeah. but they didn't acknowledge that to my no. to my knowledge. And, and he subsequently said, I asked if Brie could come out and they said no. What, what What's the thinking behind I, that? I absolutely no idea. I mean, did we know at the time they were engaged? I, I'm just, I was trying to think
3: back at the time in terms of... I think they would have been on Total Divas together by this point. So I, I, I don't get it. I mean, it was a nice moment when you could see through the... You know the opaque ticket table, and that's the problem in terms of the colors. in New Orleans are quite dark, like you know, and you can't get through the purple. That's just a bad color to pick, and there's just too much of it. Why? <laughs> why so much?
1: Because um, we don't want to see Daniel Bryan as the face of the company. Yeah, exactly. Presumably.
3: But no, I mean, it was it was it was a great end, and it was a lovely moment, and yeah, you know, it, it was just it all built up absolutely perfectly. And you know, even when Triple H came out, and it's your signature. Weapon is a sledgehammer. Learn how to use it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Three WrestleManias in a row. He wild wildly throws it around and come on. That's like you know, you don't you don't watch, you know, Japanese films and you see a samurai warrior just like dropping his sword, do you? It's use a chair then. No one ever misses with the chair. It's bigger. <laughs> you know, oh my word that, that does annoy me in terms of you see him get the, you see him get the sledgehammer, out, so sledgehammer out at Wrestlemania and you just think well he's not going to hit him this, <laughs> is, this isn't going to work um, that was the only that was the only thing in the match I didn't like because you didn't need the sledgehammer it was just Triple H in terms of I'm Triple H I have a sledgehammer
1: Yeah, but everything that, else that and JBL sort of almost spoiled it for me farm animal goat oh, yeah. garden gnome I mean you know that that's coming from um, Vincent Kennedy and his headset but still it's so counterproductive when they do things like this, particularly when you know who the winner is. I mean, pointing out that he, you know, he does sort of look a little bit like a goat. All right, well, but this is the guy that we're trying to get behind. I just don't. I know he's a heel commentator. They've, I don't
2: get it. They they never have and they never will understand why Daniel Bryan is amazing. Because if they did, Roman Reigns wouldn't be the messiest. WWE can't make genuine baby faces and then, and like. They haven't been able to make a genuine baby face since Stone Cold. They just go, "Oh, cool that th- they like him." All right, we'll do that. They've never been able to go. Now you like this person, um, and that could probably be a thing about like wider storytelling in the age of internet cynicism and whatever. It's just really hard to make a really nice. We're seeing it Rusev now. Yeah, they don't know what to do with Rusev yeah. um, in terms of. I mean, he is
3: the most popular guy on on SmackDown, and. He's brilliant, and we all agree in this room he's been completely mismanaged through his career. We've talked previously about just you know how at WrestleMania 31 he was the coolest thing other than Rollins, and yet at the same time, you
2: know, they've got Bailey in the same way that you should always be kind of weary, but wary of someone who goes, I think Superman is boring because they're essentially going, I don't understand why someone would just do nice things for nice reasons. Um, I'm always wary of just the fact that they just don't understand. They can't quite understand that people like Daniel Bryan because he's a nice lad.
4: But I think that feeds into what Anton was just saying about um, not having Brie out there with Bryan at the end. And it was at this point um, that WWE were really, really struggling with balancing reality as in actual real world what happens with reality TV mm with um, the way they actually script wrestling shows, which is not the same thing. So three kind of separate timelines and they were really, really struggling to balance it. So yes, okay, Brian and Brie are together on Total Divas, but Total Divas wasn't quite in the same universe as WWE as in the wrestling programming, which wasn't the same reality as the actual real world, which isn't the same as Total Divas. And they've started to kind of mesh them all together a little bit more now. So if a couple are together in real life, then that is actually part of WWE uh, reality now. So, you know, the Renee Young and Dean Ambrose thing, we don't see that on WWE programming as a storyline, but we know that it happens and that's acknowledged. But at that point at WrestleMania 30, they had absolutely no idea how to manage it. And they were really struggling with things like social media as well. So do you remember when Naomi broke her cheekbone or something? She broke her eye orbital thing? Orbital socket. That's the fella. And she put a picture on social media and they made her take it off. Like they, You know, you couldn't have one of your total divas having that kind of brutal injury like, in the real world. So she had that sparkly eye patch she had to yeah. wrestle with because, you know your divas can have sparkle but they can't have bruises that would be terrible so yes this kind of weird reality negotiation was something they were really struggling with at the time so i think that's why brie wasn't there they didn't know how they would get that to fit with their three different universes
1: well we talk about baby faces at the end of the show i want to go back to the very very start and the opening segment with probably the three biggest baby faces in uh, in company history and we'll do that after this short break So the opening segment featuring probably the three biggest baby faces in company history. My all time favorite, Stone Cold Steve Austin, a man who's caused some controversy in this room already, The Rock and Racism's Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hogan, first out of the three. And who would like to um, take the first swing at this and and Mr Silverdome? I hated this
3: (laughs) so much. It was basically three guys in a self-congratulatory circle jerk for half an hour in in a stadium that the the, the racists couldn't even get right. It was awful. And it was what they were just sitting there there going, "You're, you're great, you're Also great. Oh, by the way, you're
1: pretty swell too. Let's have a beer. They lasted for half an hour. Half
4: an hour—an actual half an hour. Oh Oh, my my word!
1: word. One thing that I will say in defence of this segment was that I thought that here and this—I might get blown out the room for this statement—but I thought that this was a good example of why Steve Austin is the greatest promo outside of Vince McMahon in in the history of the business because he just picked up that mistake and he ran with it and he made Hogan look old and dated and it wasn't in the kind of way that rock I felt was a bit more patronizing slash bullying of Hogan Austin was just like hey don't worry about it I'll get it right old fella and I just thought that was fabulous but why
2: was it half an hour long why was it (laughs) yeah yeah um watching it live I thought it was 10 minutes watching again that is long Mm. um yeah, one of the very rare moments where no, it's not a rare moment where something's longer than you remember WrestleMania because that's all of WrestleMania. Um, yeah, Hulk Hogan comes out, he's rubbish, he's boring, fine. Austin comes out, he's okay, and then Rock comes out. Ah, oh, that's that's your transcendent Mike Talent. Um, it's fine. It, it, it's it's a nice little circle jerk do we, do we need this to open the show as well that's what I don't understand the crowd was really hot for it in fairness
1: when they came out so it did set the stage nicely there but it, it is sort of ironic when you get um, I think it was Rock who's, who was talking about later on it's all about the new guys later on we're going to see so and so and then so and so Like, well we'd rather see him now <laughs> but see,
2: again it's the problem of WrestleManias and a lot of WWE is weren't things better back in the day and they keep doing that not realising that reminding you of how things were better back in the day the tracks from the really cool things that are about to come.
1: So they play too much to the casual audience who only buys WrestleMania once a year.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I book off the night of WrestleMania. I book the night, the Monday of WrestleMania to recuperate from watching six hours worth of the wrestling. And I tell people at work, I'm off to go watch WrestleMania. And I, oh, cool! I'm a wrestling. Is Triple H still around? And you go, yeah, because thankfully he will be around that. things That makes that conversation a lot easier. But then you go, oh, is uh, the Undertaker around? Like, oh, yeah, he's still wrestling. You're like, he's still wrestling? Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's really sad, actually. He's got a hip <laughs> operation, whatever, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and it's gone from you mentioning only one person from back in the days coming back to all of these part-timers. And you're like, oh, fine, yeah, take us back. Oh, and this guy's back, and this guy's back. Whereas what I really want to be saying is there's this guy called Finn Balor out my Instagram he looks like this and you're like yeah I'm going to watch Wrestlemania now because of Finn Balor not I'm going to watch Wrestlemania now because Stone Cold's going to be around say something for 15 minutes
1: yeah good point in in terms of um these three Austin's probably done the best in terms of using himself sparingly since then so I'm always interested in him when he comes back just quickly has anybody got any appetite Uh, racism aside, to see Hulk Hogan in 2018 performing in
2: WWE in any capacity. Speaking as the man who Hulk Hogan's racist bobs are directed at my people, he's always going to come back and... You just have to accept this as part of WWE. Like you can't watch WWE without also accepting the terrible way they view women. You can't watch WWE without accepting the terrible way they view brown people. You can't watch WWE without accepting the terrible history of racism and sexism and homophobia and whatever, whatever, whatever. So if they're going, look, they're gonna. Hogan's always gonna come back. Do you still think, uh, Anton, is he still, no. still going to pop
1: a rating, Hulk Hogan?
3: He, for me, for me, he is everything that is negative about wrestling. And I actually, uh, he's the one person that I've never, even as a kid, I never understood why he was so popular. Because even as a look, he looked like a middle-aged man. He was bald with a mullet, which is a weird sort of, you know, thing anyway. But in terms of, he was everything that was negative about it, in terms of, it was always scripted. It was always really do-gooder, and this is... And... So even from that, it's a dated concept to bring him back. And okay, fine, the whole NWO thing was 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 great, but he's you know. So not only is he dated in the ring and his character, also you know he's we've all found out now he's he's just an awful human being in terms of you know what he what about he thinks about other people and how he goes about you know his life. So it's 2018. Why are we not moving on from this? Why are we not you know? You don't have to do the WWE purge where you don't mention him on the website, but in terms of just. We don't need Hogan.
2: We don't need society a general moved on. manager. And, no, but, shit, but wrestling no.
3: fans have moved on as well. And, you know, we, we, you can't have, you know, you can't build up, you know, the women's division as it is now, as, you know, and have all this social change and then go back to somebody like that. In my opinion, you just
2: you just write it off. This is the constant problem of the WWE where they, you can't be the WWE and, and pretend you're all this, like, grandstanding, amazing, philanthropic entity, and then you, you have the fabulous muller thing you have you have an event in saudi arabia when when no women are wrestling you can't you can't keep doing this oh look at this amazing charity thing named after the ultimate warrior like that's the constant push and pull of well the constant push and pull of wrestling is how uh, the storytellers want to depict their characters and what the reality is and that's that is also like the great joy of wrestling like how one wants to view themselves and how one is actually viewed and in like a horrible meta sense you've got that in this now where WWE wants to be this forward thinking amazing progressive company that has deep links with a really terrible political organization and like I can't watch WWE stuff or buy WWE products without also needing to spend an equal amount of money to like a women's charity or a women's refuge like I can't I can't reconcile those two things I have to I have to balance out my karma somehow if I'm going to buy uh, Finn Balor t shirt. I have to give 15 quid to Sisters Uncut, right? And like, that's we would. I, I'm sure there are loads of res- wrestling fans out there go, Oh, yeah, I don't want Hulk Hogan back, he's not going to get a pop, he's not going to pop. Hulk Hogan walks into WrestleMania, he's going to get a massive pop, and you know it. And you're going to be you, the problem is you're just annoyed that you're going to pop when it happens, and that's fine. Oh, I won't, I won't, that, that's fine. You will pop. Thunder in Paradise is good, though. <laughs> Just bring back Zeus to flatten him. Then I'll enjoy it. <laughs>
1: right, I want to move on next to um, The Shield versus Kane and the New Age Outlaws. Mania debut for The Shield. Didn't last long, Carrie. Two minutes, 54 seconds.
4: The Shield against the Old Age Outlaws. Bloody hell.
1: I loved how they cut off um, Road Dogg's spiel. Yes. Not your ass, yes. but you better call somebody.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. This, this was terrible. I didn't want to see the New Age Outlaws. I didn't want to see them back in the day, and I didn't want to see them at this WrestleMania. But I did want to see the Shield, so it was kind of it was a bit of bit of a dis- disappointment for me. I would have rather seen the Shield do something somewhat more exciting against more challenging opponents. But you know, a, a very lithe
1: Roman Reigns flying about the ring here.
4: Oh, Roman Reigns from the olden days, back when he had his Shield Brotherhood. I miss the Shield. Yeah. I don't what no no well, you're I wrong
2: i don't the the best bit when roman reigns is is when he's in this like shield older brother mode i l- I love shield references i do not miss the shield I, I i like i miss somebody just
3: coming around and destroying the place when the shield came on the scene it was you know no nonsense yeah we are taking over and no group's done that since and i think you know you've You've seen recently in the women's division, you've seen Absolution and, and Riot Squad and you think. Actually they they could have been a, a sort of a female shield in mm. terms of and that would have been brilliant to watch. But so yeah, I, I miss I miss somebody being like that, but I don't necessarily miss the Shield because yeah, I love I, I love I love I love Rollins and you know and Reigns is, is doing his own thing and Ambrose was the title holder going into he this won't. match which is a disgrace as well by the way can we just say
0: <laughs>
4: well I really wanted at the time um, you mentioned kind of um, absolution I really wanted Paige to join the Shield and have kind of like. Have a Lady Shield member as well, and then she could have taken over the women's division, and yeah. Paige, Paige
1: now should be managing a faction with her, Alistair Black, and Ruby Wright, and it would be the greatest. Oh, be amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Nice. I mean, Nikki Cross's insanity and is
2: brilliant. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 She should have been Sister yeah. Abigail, by the way. Yeah, I, I'd love I'd, I love
2: Stables. We haven't had the stable holding all the gold at the end since Evolution. Like, someone needs to do that ASAP. There was that great photograph, Black Excellence, where all the black... It was... Mm-hmm. Uh, Sasha, New Day, the terrible man who used to be the Cruiserweight champion. Uh, Rick Rick uh, And they just all Instagram a photo going, Black X and all holding gold. Like, do that. Because stables are great. Because you all have, you're allowed to have multiple uh, conversations and storylines. They all have different goals. And then eventually when it explodes, you can have pay-per-view after pay-per-view after pay-per-view where they're all beating each other up. Um, don't miss the shield. Do love it when they reference each other. So when Roman Reigns protects Seth Rollins... That's great. I don't want them wearing the same t shirt beating stuff up. Um fine. That match was fine. It was it was over way quicker. Well- also, K- Kane was in this match. Corporate Kane, I was going to say. give match. a shout-out to Corporate Who Kane and his Kane. business slacks and no time. I <laughs>
1: love
3: Corporate Kane. K- Kane, referred to as Kane and his buddies the, and the <laughs> New Edge Outlaws. Thinking, that's... What? <laughs> <Since when>?
1: Yeah. <laughs> They're the original odd couple. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that sitcom. <laughs> Next up, John Cena pinned Bray Wyatt. This went about 23 minutes. This was the mania where Mark Crozer and the band performed Bray's entrance. Um, this was silly... And not in a good way. I thought we were, you know, uh, Bray was trying to get Cena over to the dark side. Cena was doing his stinkingly bad overacting about everything. The match was too long. The V I didn't great. enjoy it. The VT was the great. great. The VT is
3: great. Yeah. The VT is great. Going into it, the whole thing about. Cena's got to protect his legacy, and apparently his legacy is he doesn't hit people with chairs, which all <laughs> that's the same as my legacy, which actually, because I've never which, done. Which is that. yeah, which is just a kind of good you know, guide to life, really, isn't it? But also, also goes against it at the end because Cena hits Rowan with a chair, and then and then hits um, Bray with an AA. So you're thinking, so you're allowed to hit people who aren't in the match with a chair, but not? I don't. So even the whole thing was built on he's not a violent man. But he still commits an act of egregious violence. But his legacy is intact. So not only was the the premise poor, also was completely
1: contradicted. What do you think, Carrie? I, I'm I'm no John Cena fan, uh, um, as is quite publicly known. Did did he did he do much for you in this match?
4: No. Um, I'm also not a huge Cena fan. I enjoyed Bray Wyatt singing. I quite enjoyed that bit. That's always a highlight for me. Um, other than that, yeah, too long, not enough sense.
3: Crowd was quiet well the crowd there's a lull in the crowd for this one was it's, it's no five sport, minutes it? too long
2: and the st- and they can't it's like ah, another Bray Wyatt problem they can never pull the trigger on him like have Bray Wyatt lose this match but have Cena go too far or, or just like have the shot where Cena does like AAs him through a table gets the three count and it cuts and Bray Wyatt's just smiling do that but you're never going to do that because Cena blah 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 blah, blah. um like right, take the matches in 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 like connected like Bray Wyatt makes his WrestleMania debut, he loses to John Cena, then he goes off and his Undertaker and he loses to the Undertaker. Oh, that's cool! Like he's fighting big people and he's losing in interesting ways, but he doesn't get the interesting ways. He doesn't get the whatever. He so quickly goes from I'm a scary young bad guy to oh, I'm just jobber to the stars.
1: Okay, but we've spent a lot of time on the last few episodes of the Menting Bray and the booking of Bray. I wonder how much culpability he has to have for it as well. I mean, his promos are generally long, rambling, nonsensical. Is he somebody of status enough? Obviously, his dad was in the business, so he's got that link, his brother's in there too. Is he the sort of person who should be going to Vince and saying, this is rubbish, I've got a better idea, let's do this? Or is that unrealistic? We've we've talked
3: about how... Our favourite incarnation of Cena over the last couple of years is when Cena gets other people across in the U.S. Open Challenge and that kind of thing. And this would have been a perfect time for you know to, to start here because you know there is and there still is you know it, it's dormant, but there's still an excitement around Wyatt. And yes, in terms of you'd love to see him do more, take ownership, but he's still you know he's still young and he's still only they what three or four years. Thirty-three. F- but he's still he's still three or four years off being you know the joke in NXT you know, when in the first incarnation of NXT. So I'm not, I can't put a lot of blame on him because I can imagine he's fighting a really difficult battle and the mentality would have been, look, you've got a match against Cena at, at, at Mania. You know, what more do you want? But you're right in terms of it would be it would be just great to see. No one's taken responsibility for why it seems like for his entire sort of last, for the last five years. And you've got to ask questions. And looking back,
1: you've got to go, well, where, where did it all start? Who's culpable? Because like there's probably quite a lot of people. I miss Husky Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Cesaro won what was the first ever Andre the Giant battle royal. A um, couple of things of note from this that, that I like, Carrie. The Kofi special where he uh, somehow stayed on his feet to, to to go out. Something that I really, really didn't like. Jerry Lawler, who was on commentary, I heard 3MB have been touring China as a wok band. Oh. How does that kind of stuff get through? How's this guy still <sighs> the fact, on TV? The fact that Jerry
4: Lawler was on this. I mean, again, working backwards through WrestleManias. And yes, okay, I complain about commentary all the time and you know, JBL annoys me. But Jerry Lawler, I'd forgotten how terrible he is, how offensive he is on so many different levels. And the fact that no one shuts him down. Do you remember He's,
1: when CM Punk did? It was one time oh, when CM yes. Punk was on commentary and he said, That's just what we need, King, more corny jokes instead of calling the action. And Lola said nothing for like five minutes afterwards. And I just stood up in my house and applauded the television.
4: Yeah. CM Punk left, though. So, you know, there's no one there who's going to do that. <laughs> and oh my goodness, no. Hugely, hugely terrible, offensive, egregious commentary from Jerry the King Lawler who should not be on television or in a microphone no
2: I don't want to call him the king on this no he's just Jerry Lawler maybe jail I'm not going to call him the king on this podcast
1: yes yeah (laughs) <laughs> just John what about the fact of Cesaro actually winning that was that was good that
4: was amazing um, I love Cesaro I think he's a fantastic singles wrestler I think he's a fantastic tag team wrestler and I just thought seeing him being able to demonstrate some of those feats of strength that they talk about a lot was just amazing and uh, yeah just incredible stuff
3: Again, the, the great thing about these battle royals is you get to see people you completely forgot about. Brad Maddox, who <laughs> yeah. is Brad famous Maddox. for being in a different video these yeah, days, Roy. isn't he? Roy. Brodus Clay, great quality. And you're thinking, oh my word, these, uh, this is a ragtag bunch, isn't it? In terms of it's not, it's not quite as, a, as stellar as you'd hoped when, it, when it, got, it got a big sell, got a big push, didn't it, at the time? Um, they ruined it by putting it poor him. And Seamus got top yeah. billing. Seamus she- got, sort of got his own
1: uh, entrance didn't he his, his old rubbish music which got stuck in my head for a couple of days <laughs> after watching this Wrestlemania annoyingly you alluded to it there Cole um Cesaro went on to become a Paul Heyman guy he'd fallen out with Jack Swagger on the on the kickoff show after they'd lost their tag match um it basically became a vehicle for um Paul Heyman to put over Brock Lesnar losing the streak while Cesaro stood by and watched it was a bizarre combination when Cesaro was essentially
2: turning face, putting him with a heel manager. Yep. Took away all his heat. You know, Paul Heyman Paul Heyman guys that aren't Brock Lesnar don't work. I loved the stuff with him and Ryback, I've got
1: to say, when they were sort of, you know, uh-huh. basically lovers. I thought that was pretty funny.
2: That was, that was funny. Didn't help Ryback no. at all. Um, Curtis Axel. Hooray. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. The best Paul Heyman cesaro bit was when they tried feuding with john zina uh, and he said i think cesaro points out the fact that he's in wrestling trainers he's like you should wrestle in boots oh i forgot you can't wrestle at all
1: um, and seen as zinger back your nipples are larger than most other
2: people's well, yeah <laughs> oh, <'cause, laughs> good one john yep great uh love cesaro uh maybe he's swiss maybe that's why people can't connect I, It's I, one of the most he's, scathing he's things i've ever genuinely heard genuinely funny <laughs> He's a genuinely funny man. He's amazing. Yeah, you spend time with him. So Anton, you've just interviewed
1: him. Yeah, yeah. Four parts unknown. Tell us a bit about um him sort of off screen.
3: He's a great guy. He's genuine. him and Seamus together just work and they they clearly get on. But one thing you haven't really seen in WWE until really joined the bar, but again, not so much. He's he's a funny guy. And he's quick witted and it's it's self deprecating in in terms of him and Seamus will take the Mickey out of each other all day and they are exactly the same sort of on camera and off camera and and that kind of thing. Whereas Cesaro is funny and that's one thing I've never really understood why he hasn't been given that shot because I can understand and I can't understand because WWE is so scripted and she- 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 Sheamus and Cesaro are, are naturally funny and they riff off each other and that doesn't really work. But you spend spend five minutes with Cesaro and you'll be you'll be insidious. He's genuinely genuinely a top bloke um, who is happy to admit he was never a rugby player he's happy to admit that you know um, he was had to team up with Teddy Long and Oksana and he was Rusev before Rusev he's he he doesn't mind admitting that he finds it funny
2: he gets it Cesaro is low-key one of John Cena's great rivalries recently because Cena clearly loves him Uh, Stone Cold adores him keeps calling him like a hell of an athlete hell of a cat Um, I would love to see I don't know if I doubt it will have happened cesaro versus roman reigns for two or three paper views would be amazing or well, cesaro Rollins, i'd watch oh yeah i'd watch cesaro Rollins. i think that'd be absolutely superb yeah just give him
3: let him blood. fly around let him fly around and do whatever he wants to do just just uh, just just un- unleash him
4: cesaro could have a fantastic match with anybody he's that kind of wrestler and yeah you're right he's he's funny and he's nice and i presume that they haven't strapped a rocket to him because he's foreign <laughs>
1: Right, so we're almost at the end of this show now, but we would be remiss if we if we didn't mention the probably the match of the night. AJ Lee wins a 14 divas match. Now, these were the other competitors: Natalia, Nikki Bella, Brie Bella, Naomi, Cameron, Eva Marie, Emma, Tamina, Alicia Fox, Layla, Axana, Summer Rae, and Rosa Mendez. AJ was the champion going into this, but nobody cared because it was the match that went on after the streak had been broken. I felt really sorry for these women. Yeah. I mean, the crowd
3: are still shouting Undertaker yeah. as the match starts. But for me, that's not the most offensive thing. It's the commentators giggling throughout the entire match, which just shows exactly what they thought of the entire women's division at the time. It's it, it's an insult watching it back.
1: It's We've come a long way, Carrie, in a few years.
4: We have. Um, yeah, it doesn't help who you have in the commentary desk at, exactly. at that point again. But, um, yeah, it's just the, it's the typical old-fashioned divas match positioning, isn't it? It's there as a as a stopgap between one big moment and your next big men's moment. And I forgot how much fantastic work AJ Lee was doing at this time, trying to hold that division together. Look at that, 14 divas. Oh, it's goodness awful. me. Oksana. Oh, Rosa Mendes. Yeah. No. My no, dear Eva no. Marie, in oh. a
1: wonderful Twitter account. Oh,
4: Eva Marie. Oh, yeah, yeah goodness. Poor AJ. AJ should have got more accolades than she did the Black
1: Widow is a great move as well
3: fantastic. it's a fantastic submission move but even I mean Naomi's developed into into a great talent but even the, the the tap out at the end you see AJ having to move Naomi's hand to sort of you know to to get her through this because nobody in this match other than AJ
2: is a level they should be yeah, Nikki's no Nikki's getting there Nikki hasn't quite become
1: the She has got her there.
4: worker boots on yet quite, yeah but she's getting there
2: AJ had a great run. I
1: loved the bit where um, she just used to skip round the ring when Punk, Brian, and Kane were all vying for affections. I thought it was magnificent. Is there any chance, given who her husband is, presuming they stay together, that we see AJ Lee either get a short Hall of Fame style run or come back and actually work as an active wrestler for WWE again?
2: I think she's got enough money. She's got enough interest. She doesn't need to unless she wants to. And I don't think there's anything particularly on the table Good enough for her to come back.
4: She doesn't seem like she wants to. I mean, obviously, it's only based on kind of social media, but she's got a you know, animal charity activism yeah. and she's writing books. And you know, she and Punk seem very happy. Good yeah. luck to them.
3: But my worry would be if she came back, all you'd hear is CM Punk chants as well, which does down the great work that AJ did. You know, during her run, like you said, she held together that division at a time when when no one was taking it seriously at all. So for her to come back and just constantly get questions about Punk. Chance about punk, it just that would seem unfair and I actually don't think I would do much for her legacy either.
1: So the one other thing I wanted to talk about was the um, Hall of Fame inductees. This was some class for various reasons. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, Lita, Paul Bearer, Mr T, Carlos Colon, Razor Ramon and the Ultimate Warrior who would die two days later. Um, some sort of irony that it was in New Orleans given everything that he said about uh, Katrina, etc. Um, Ultimate Warrior... We can say whether he was himself deserving of a place in the Hall of Fame, but the fact that they named an award after him—is this crass? Is this just absent-minded? Is it what's the thinking behind this?
2: Ultimate Warrior getting a Hall of Fame, cutting the Raw promo, and then passing away just after is one of those weird wrestling things that can only happen in wrestling art
1: art imitating life
2: art imitating life and also someone who probably shouldn't deserve it getting some of the nicest most poetic redemption stories you've ever seen and like his last promo is strangely I wouldn't say prophetic but like wow it's almost as if he knew yeah it? it is almost as if he knew and he's not absolved in death um but I pause because maybe he got his life together
1: yeah it's a difficult thing to talk about for those who don't know um, he said some really horrendous things uh, about homosexuality about Bobby Heenan's cancer and about Hurricane Katrina so it it's kind of difficult to look to look back on his career without thinking about that um other than him Paul Bearer his son's standing on stage doing the old wave, wondering what's going on. Jake Roberts, Razor Ramon had to go in as Razor Ramon rather than Scott Hall. It's a strange old thing, the
2: WWE Hall of Fame. It's, it's, wait, Jake the Snake and Razor Ramon, in, so basically DDP got his second induction into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, DDP did the, um, did did the speech, yeah, didn't he? Yeah. Like, DDP's a hero for helping both of those men, and the fact that both of those men were around... to. To see themselves be inducted in Hall of Fame is fantastic. Uh, Mr. T's Hall of Fame speech is bizarre. He just <laughs> he, talks about. He really about, loves his mum. He, he, he loves his mum <laughs> so much. <laughs> But it, it, what do we think about
1: the legitimacy of the Hall of Fame? It, it, is it, it, I mean, I'm of the opinion that it's such nonsense that people who get worked out worked up about the validity of inclusions so are just wasting their energy because but you've got
3: Donald that, Trump and Mr T in But it. I think you've got to take into consideration how important Hall of Fames is, are in American sport. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's huge before the Super Bowl. It's you know the, the, the debate about you know the first ballot Hall of Famers going into the uh, NFL Hall of Fame in Canton is is massive. It, you know, in terms of it's a it's a big topic that s- surrounds U.S. sports. So I think that's why, from our point of view, we're just like you know we don't quite get it. But in America, it's and WWE will always try to be legitimate, be a legitimate sport. And you know, it so in order to keep up, I think it, that's why it still has it. It's myth making,
2: it's, it's the idea of when this is all done, said, and gone, and when New Japan finally takes over, <laughs> uh, the people in the WWE Hall of Fame are the people who did tell the great stories. So, this is why everyone made such a fuss when Matchaman finally got in. This is why everyone's waiting for that year where there's no one left and okay fine we'll put the rock in this year and this is why when triple h becomes a three-time hall of famer everyone's going to be like jesus lord (laughs) because this does matter yes it's it's entirely fake and it's an invention of its own will and the people in it are terrible but also the people that work in wwe are morally great so that's fine not that's not fine that is to be expected to keep thinking about Kurt Vernegut whenever I think of the W Hall of Fame, so it goes.
4: I kind of think of um, history being written by the winners when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. So you're saying about myth making, and the Hall of Fame is the opportunity for them to have their stories kind of edited and represented and this is kind of the acceptable kind of narrative about this particular person's life and these are the people who are approved by wwe which is why china's still not in there she is not approved for whatever reasons and yeah the ones who do get in they're the ones have finally been accepted and welcomed back by vince and they're okay now and yeah the ones who aren't they're still on the outside getting the cold shoulder
2: so the china one is particularly important because the WWE like, by like the Hall of Fame, has some really morally unscrupulous people and blah, 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 blah. But it meant so much to China when she left and did all those videos. And she talked about how much and how badly she wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't, I don't. Yeah, you can point out this person's in the Hall of Fame. This person's in the Hall of Fame. This person's in the Hall of Fame. When they eventually put China in, it's going to be a big deal. And I'll be happy because I know she wanted to be in there. And very similar to Macho Man. Macho Man was obsessed with his own legacy and whatever, whatever. And there was all these rumours about this is why he's not going to be in the XYZ. But when he finally got in, you're like, yeah, good. Because it mattered to him and it mattered to his family. So go for it, man. And also, like, in the flip, um, you could see how much it mattered to Hulk Hogan when he got removed. Like, that hit him so hard. More so than anything. Which, kind of like, good. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's got some validity.
1: I think we can agree on that. Um final thoughts then in terms of WrestleMania moments, I mean, take your pick, what a show. And um, and what what a newsworthy show.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, the image of the of the ticker tape and Brian at the end, I guess. That has to be that has to be my big takeaway moment from it.
3: Anton? Mine mine is the reverse of old school. It's the moment you see Taker become you know, uh, uh, an afterthought in terms of, of pro wrestling it was the, it was the moment he, the, the streak ending made complete
2: sense. Uh Randy Orton getting his back bent? That was a pre- <laughs> that was that was a real like wow. Wrestlers are hardcore. <laughs> you, you do that to my back? No, I'm I'm out for two weeks. I'm recording this with six holes in my back because I donated bone marrow. Like back injuries, check out. No, no, no. So Randy Orton, all disrespect to you, but fair play for wrestling. Past that. <laughs>
1: Well, mine's going to be Paul Heyman's reaction to the streak ending because I thought that was fantastic. So that was WrestleMania 30, one of the better WrestleManias of recent times, I think we can all agree. Next week, it's WrestleMania 29, logically. Cena versus Rock, second once-in-a-lifetime meeting. Undertaker versus CM Punk, remember him. And Triple H going up against Brock Lesnar. I've been Matt Davis. This has been Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.